Still in Miami. Miami Summer Series. Today's episode, we're going to talk about new trends as well as, I guess, honestly, today's episode is kind of like first quarter. Yeah, we're going to recap, recap first quarter. Our 2022 uh, first quarter recap, a lot happened in the first quarter. Agree. Uh, just to let you know, there's no quarter is three months. Every month we have four quarters. So from every January year to March. So every three months it's a quarter. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to talk about our first quarter, what we did, what we learned, mistakes we made, what we learned, and um, go from there. Yeah, so the recap of the first quarter is very important so you can actually strategize and do differently. What you do is that most companies, they actually evaluate uh, quarter per quarter so that you can make the adjustments so that you can have a great year. So let's recap what the first quarter was. Yeah, uh, so uh, first thing, you know, we always talk about the bird method. They buy, rehab, rehab refinance, and repeat. So yep. that's what a lot of wealthy investor, investors do. They don't get, they don't get, flip their money and pay capital gains tax. What they do is they buy a property on the value, they put, they rehab it, get it up to uh, market standards. They refinance at the new market rate they got it at take that cash out and go buy more properties. So we put that plan of action. So guys, you know, you recently seen uh, Beltline duplex we did for the competition. Uh, I won. Uh, he, he, yeah, we won. He, the we old, won. Shout out to my designer. Y'all that old green cabinet <laughs> like, green. It was a very risky green, but we glad we took the risk. I got a lot of sexy comments. Shout out to all my sexy <laughs> deals out there. Y'all see what we was going for. But yeah, so y'all seen the Beltline duplex. Y'all seen the Wardrobe property. Uh, y'all see the uh, Harding Street property and our other properties. So what we did this quarter, we refinanced all the properties because before we had our rehab money, we had our own capital in the rehab into it. We had a lot of money tied had up in the rehab. a lot of money tied up in the rehab. Yes. We got the market at below market uh, rate. Chelsea did a good job negotiating the price to get in the uh, pricing at a great market. I went ahead and rehab it. Uh, we stayed on budget sometimes. Sometimes we did stay on budget. Agreed. Uh, but uh, we got it done. We got a rehab, and now we to the financing part. So, uh, what we learned uh, with the financing part, the biggest thing about financing, the whole deal is structured on your appraisal. Agreed. That's that's the whole deal. It's nothing. The appraisal is going to give you the amount that the new worth is, and that's what the loan amount going to be about. So Charles uh, can kind of explain to yeah. So I guess process. the biggest thing that we learned is that right now when you're rehabbing, right, like we told you guys last year, we went into Airbnb and bought a lot of Airbnb properties. So we normally do bird method on your other properties, not your short-term rental. What we learned this time is that the actual Airbnb, since that is a brand new process, it's a new way of actually doing it. Is that they can't take the 12 months. So let's let's break it all the way down. Long term, typically have a 12 month lease. So when you actually go to do the refinance, you submit the actual 12 month lease with the actual rehab, I mean, to the actual finance company, and they actually use that as whatever the 12 months will be for the market rent. With Airbnb being that it is a so adjusted, what they do now is that they actually look at the how much money you earn. Uh, within the last six months, if that's the only time you guys actually had owned the property and divided by 12. We didn't know that at the beginning of it, so we made those adjustments. So when they came back and gave us a valuation, 
Typically, you want to get the maximum when you got the rehab, uh, when you actually refinance, you want the maximum cash out that you can get. So you can take that money and actually reinvest it. Yeah. Being that they kind of came back and now we had to reevaluate the short-term rentals differently from what we do originally with Burr method, then now we had to do some tweaking and do some adjusting. Yeah, because the bank's looking at it as a, if I give them a lease and I'm saying that it's probably going to be leased for $1,200 a month. They know every month it's going to be $1,200. It's going to be a straight line. Like it's going to be $1,200 and then they can structure the deal like if you're going to cash flow. Where Airbnb, like we just talk about peak seasons and you have cold seasons. So your income is going up and down. So you don't know what it's going to be. So they have to have a 12-month average of you actually doing Airbnb. But you don't have a 12-month average because you didn't have it for 12 months yet. You maybe had it maybe for six months, maybe. Maybe, yeah, that's actually And yeah. that's actually pretty good. So you don't have a 12-month average. So we had to learn that basic because my Airbnbs, like on a single family, we might get, our market rent might be $1,300, but Airbnb might cash, it might gross at $3,000. So we're talking about more than double uh, that. So you have to show them stats. But since Airbnb is so new, banks don't look at that. So we had to learn, okay, we can't take long-term refinancing options because they're not giving us the 12 months of rent we actually gonna make in a property. We have to maybe get some immediate short-term properties. What I mean by immediate, five years or less. Mm -hmm. Basically, you getting a five-year mortgage on your property and saying, hey, we're gonna refinance it and in five or the last years, we're gonna pay off the mortgage. Yeah, and that's, a, that's very important so that yeah. you guys can, because now that you do a short-term, what we learn is that you have an additional step that you add. Most people, they refinance it to a long-term uh, product, and then they kind of go ahead with the next project. When you're working on Airbnbs, what you figure out is that you you refinance it to a short-term product after this. So you're actually doing three, you're doing two, you're doing two refinances. So you'll do the initial one, a refinance, and then get 12-month history, or even 18-month history. What exactly. we did was we extended it as long as we could. Yeah, we got two-year, yeah. we got 24-month in the medium loan, so we're gonna have 12 to 18 month history. Yep. So we can have two peak seasons yep. to show that. And then we can go back to the bank because in them 12 and two years, you probably should have went up. You should not be losing value in your property. Mm -hmm. It probably should have go up. So don't worry about that part. Don't worry about, oh my God, I got two years to pay this off. No, you're not even thinking like that. You just get your, get your property ready for long-term because right now it's not ready for a long-term solution. Yeah. You, you right now, you just want to get your money out, get your capital back as soon as possible back so you can buy more properties. Mm -hmm. And then you will basically get your property ready for long-term. So when that 12, 18 months you have the average, now when they look at our properties, they're going to see that we cash flow 50, 60, $70,000 a year and on this property. They can divide that by 12. That's the new market rate. Then we can go ahead and refinance it to longer, longer terms, more maybe like a 30-year mortgage, and then it can kind of be fixed in like that. So basically, now we've learned the process is you buy the house, you rehab, you do a short-term refinance, mm -hmm. like 24 months or less, mm -hmm. 12 to 24 months, get then you get, I will put a D in there for data, <laughs> get 12, 18 months of data in your property, then we do the long-term refinance. Agreed. So that biggest step right there was something that we actually learned. Honestly, it was a classic my real estate mistake. Yeah. So what happened was, uh, before even that happened, when Chris was talking about appraisal, we actually rehab a property, bought the property under market value, put a lot of money as far as rehab uh, into the property, got the property because it was actually old, kind of like student housing, mm -hmm. take that, revamp the whole entire property, and we went to a lender and they actually kind of appraised the value 
at about $60,000 or more than what we paid for it. Again, we're in real estate. We know numbers really well. The reason why we purchased the property was because we know that it was undervalued because of the uh, actual how it was being marketed. It was undervalued for the area, so that's the reason why we purchased it. So the most important part that we have learned throughout that process is that we're no longer just allowing one bank to actually do appraisals on our property. Um, yeah, because you got to get out the house buying mode. Like we, as real estate owners and brokers in charge and stuff, we always tell our home buyer client, "Hey, don't shop around too many loans. You don't want your credit getting pulled and get your credit score." That is right for buying a home, but investment properties is totally different process. You can shop, you can go process for four lenders, five, six lenders at the same time. Only thing you're doing is paying appraisal fees. That's pretty much you're doing. They, I mean, you can have it processed, and you need to have a good relationship with your closing attorney and let them know, hey, I'm doing about three to four refinances right now, so if you see some title research, title searches coming in, I'm going to use the title search for this property, but mm -hmm. I'll let you know which lender wins, okay? Yep. So you have to be op open like that because you, they're going to send title requests. You're going to go through the whole title uh, loan process, and you want your appraisers because appraisers and appraisal reports is it's a system, but it's really somebody's opinion. It's about appraisal A might think it's worth five hundred thousand. Appraisal B might come in at six hundred thousand. Appraisal C might come in at three fifty, and appraisal D might come in at eight hundred thousand. Whatever that is, is opinion, and it's not a it's a flawed system. So you gotta make sure that you ha you have all your tools to actually complete and make sure you get the best deal because you're locking yourself in to get your money back. So you don't want to leave any money on the table and. And like, luckily, we had that strategy because we had a property that appraised double from another appraiser. I mean, it was at no. As much as even that is that. So I will be really kind of honest with you about how the appraisal process thing. The first time we met with the appraiser, we came, we met him out there, and we pretty much got the appraisal back. It was so undervalued. Not only that it was undervalued, is that they had nine month nine month uh, sale comps. It did not include all the repairs that we had made and the property that he was comparing with wasn't apples with apples. Being that we were we had his property totally renovated, instead of him making adjustments on the renovations that we done, he undervalued our properties. And it was more than one. It was multiple properties this bank hired as one appraiser. And what we realized at that time was that the bank was actually trying to tell us that, hey, property values can't increase that much. We were like, no, this property was undervalued yeah. when we think. So I say in that process is that you're going to have to trust yourself and know that you're in control and you're pretty much controlling your destiny because if you allow someone to put that negative energy in your head that your property is not worth after you sat and did these numbers, then that's when we came up with the strategies. You know what? We're not going to just take what this person is offering us. We're going to go to a whole entire lender and pay an additional appraisal fee. And these are talking about multifamily, so it was an expensive appraisal fee. We're talking about two, dollars $3,000 in appraisal, but it was well worth it. But we trust ourselves that much that we knew that the property was undervalued. But somebody that's not in real estate doing that would be take the money they were offering you because you can't justify why the price was not correct. So what we did was in that situation, we removed ourselves from there the situation we allow someone else to actually kind of represent us and go with the appraisal what we did was we move ourselves out of no the situation. no we're gonna be real with you guys <laughs> we took uh, us out the equation and uh we let our white or uh, a hospitality owner open the property and it came back double so hey it is true out there it's plenty of stories out there about appraisals and minorities 
uh, ownership was coming in lower and stuff like that. So we just let you know we went through it. If you're minority, if you're a woman, black, uh, a minority in this company, country, you can go through it as well. And we have to just play the game. You have to get, because at the end of the day, it's still your property, you still gotta get the money out, okay? I mean, you have to play the game and make sure you come to all your uh, competitive advantages. So that's what happened. We, uh, Chauncey did not open the door last time. I might probably might have opened the door and the appraisal doubled. So it wasn't even just one appraisal. So no, it, it was no. no so, we're not talking about one. It's, no, what I'm saying about when I said not one appraisal is that the first appraisal was one appraisal to evaluate the whole portfolio. The next time, the other bank that we chose did sit multiple appraisers out there. Exactly. And they doubled the value with the multiple appraisers. So it wasn't just one person's opinion versus one other person's opinion. It was one person's opinion versus three other people's opinion, and they came back and doubled the value. Um, honestly, yeah, it was very disappointing, and you know the market, so that's why exactly that's that's the thing about yeah. it. you know that you 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 know the comparables, you see it, you're a part yeah. of MLS, yeah. you know the comparables, you know what we sell, you know if I put this market house for the market, what you value at right now, I have thirty offers in the first forty eight hours. Agree in this in this uh, agree, office. and so, it could be cash offers too. So cash offers. That's yeah. what the biggest thing was is that we learned that you have to trust yourself that. They tried to make a decision on this, and even talking to our lender was very kind of discouraging if you wasn't sure about yourself about how the property value has increased in the last six months. But we were aware at the time when we purchased it that it was definitely very undervalued. We put the work into it. We changed out all the pertinent things to make the property value where it was. And to come back with three other appraisers came back with double what the first one was. It's, it costs us about 2500 but it, it was able for us to create a new strategy that we're no longer going to let one person be the deciding factor of what our faith is. We're going to go ahead and actually push it towards and let everyone kind of do their job and then take a look at that and make it a deciding factor on that. And a little pro tip, you, you won't be like us. You won't be access to the MLS and things like that, which also you can do, you can order your appraisal yourself. You don't have to wait for a bank to order appraisal. You can just get appraisal done on your properties and kind of figure out, you're going to go to an appraisal company or a local appraisal in your area and hire him and say, I need appraisal done on my property. And so you can kind of, he's a, he's, you working for you and he can let you know, okay, based on my uh, market analysis, your property came at this. So at least you know a kind of baseline, you kind of understand where your property is value at, then you can kind of do the numbers yourself and see, okay, if it's worth pursuing, to get it refinanced now or go to another lender. And that can kind of save you time and money because if you get the bank to order an appraisal and it comes a little lower, then you have something to compare with. I just got a local appraiser to do it and this market is going up, so my appraisal shouldn't be going down at this point. Then you'll start figuring out a boy about your market. You gotta know about your market, you gotta so know about the What we're like basically that. saying is that you need to educate yourself on what your numbers are. Exactly. Going back to the original thing that we talked about is that knowing that your cash flow and knowing what the property is actually sold for, knowing that whatever type of property you have, what condition it is, comparing apples with apples. We're not asking for any favors, but we want the appraiser to be actually fair. Exactly. And when you know it's not fair, then it's different. It's kind of very similar what we told the lender was, uh, uh, we see the last first quarter from January it went from 3.75 interest rate, no, 3.25 interest rate to now in, uh, I said this is uh, April now, we're looking at almost under five interest rate. Just in that short time period, interest rates have went up about one or two percent. 
So when you're looking at a, a property, property values have increased dramatically like that over time too. Before in real estate, we would look six months into a property and see the actual changing difference. Now, when we're doing adjusting prices, we're basically looking in the last 30 days to last 90 days and seeing what the market has changed and how that property increased in value. But knowing that information is very important. That's why you need to do your due diligence because it's still people out there that will undervalue your house. And if you're not sure about what exactly you, you have, you definitely be cut short. And that's kind of what we kind of put into it. That's, I mean, that's our mistake. That was our mistake. We learned yep. it cost us maybe about 30, 60 more days. Yep. Um, it cost us time, capital. And honestly, we sat on it for a minute. Like yeah. when we got it, it took us like a week or so to kind of like put our stuff way. together. Yeah, yeah. and like, then we that's just, not right. Yeah, yeah, this is, way. yeah, this has got to be. This is we know it was wrong, but we had to prove that it was wrong, and it's unfortunately that we had to go through that. But we learned that hey, this is a new strategy that we're not going to allow people to do that. Yeah, so we made that mistake. Mm -hmm. So you guys don't make the mistakes. So that's why you say learn about your values and things like that. And, and shout out to all the fair appraisals. Uh, it's not all of them not bad. I don't want you to think that. I have some great relationship with some appraisal, local appraisal people in my area and things like that. So, yeah, and, and that's what yeah. I'm saying. The, the other three came back. It was yeah. one appraiser with the whole entire portfolio. Then one person, and then three people came back with totally double value. Yeah. So we definitely had some other ones that was fair with the whatever the market value was. And it shows in the numbers. There's nothing that we kind of came up with. But definitely make sure you're sure about what you're actually doing. That's why it's important to educate yourself as much as possible because that does actually change things and it does change the way you do things. Going into the next thing that we learned, especially for uh, the first quarter. And when you were just talking about, um, once you were talking about, you said it earlier, you got into a little bit, but the higher cost of money. Oh, yeah. So what we're looking at now as far as the... Um, as far as what? What, like the cost high interest rates going up? Oh yeah, that's what I was going to yeah, tell yeah. yeah, inflation. Uh, so, well, we're not really inflation, it's interest rates increase. So yeah. what we're looking at is like, interest rates has gotten really low January, it was January 2021, interest rates were in the twos. Like interest two rate, five, two like six. a two five. I think it went all the way down to like, I know somebody that got a two, a 2.3 interest rate. Jesus. Yeah, 2.3 <laughs> interest rate. Uh, what that does is that your interest rate lowers, so your buying power increases. So let's say you got a $1,500 mortgage with a 2.3 interest rate. If it increased to a 4.7, you probably, your mortgage probably is about, what, 1800 So a significant increase in actual mortgage rate. So the lowest since COVID that interest rates have gotten was January 7, 2021. It was down to a 2.65. Now that's a 2.65 as an average. So it was some that was lower, some that was higher. And this is a 30 year fixed loan. Mm. From that was at the lowest rate to uh, now interest rates as of March 17th, this is what the statistics I'm looking at, was at a 4.5. So what you're seeing is that in between that time, and we're talking about January, January, February, March, interest rate was in January, a mid three, a three, six, three, seven interest rate pretty much doubled in 60 days. Uh, well, not doubled, went up a percent in 60 days. So the whole one month you went, your buying power probably, let's say if you had a 2.5 and you only qualify for 250. I know people who have now, their 250 qualification is going down to 200. Look at, just like in past episodes, Quincy talked about, it was not important before what the sale price of the house is. 
It was more important what the actual uh, dollar amount you were paying per month. And people didn't understand it. Like, well, I'm not going to overpay for the house. But if you're looking at something, especially a long-term investment, where you're going to have a, a, a fixed rate, you want to make sure that you have a low interest rate throughout the life of your loan. You're going to pay less interest, and that should be your goal. Another thing that we are probably going to become popular again, because somebody got a 2.3 interest rate, is a summable mortgage because mortgage has never been that low. Like that's statistically low. Like before COVID happened, interest rates were right around now, which is still at its historical low. It's a sumable mortgage. What's a mortgage? A sumable. Uh, oh, sumable mortgage. mortgage. Okay, you so just, you just shut that out, like, like that's coming, that's coming back to the market. What is it, Charles? Yeah. So, a sumable <laughs> mortgage is when if Quincy owns a house. And he has a 2.3 interest rate. Okay. And I want to buy the house that he has. No, uh, I don't take y'all. <laughs> gonna take you. So I interest rate now at a five, right? So yeah. Quincy has a 2.3 interest rate. Some banks allow me to actually go to Quincy Bank and get pre-qualified and get through underwriting at Quincy Bank to assume his 2.3 mortgage. So what I'll do is I'll assume his 2.3 mortgage and I'll pay him a premium because I'm actually investing in his house to have it in the next, if he has a loan for 25 years left, I'll assume all his actual uh, terms and conditions and I'll take over his mortgage, but I have to offer him a premium because for the same house, he, I'll have, my payment will probably be $500 more. So that's what a suitable mortgage is. Now, now who, who would decide that? Would the bank, yeah. like you have to be like a, a high, a nice A1 client to get that up? It depends on the bank to decide because okay. whatever, whoever has the actual loan, you have to get pre-qualified with that person that has a loan. So, so basically, if, if you just say, I don't want to use no Chase, it's just Chase, uh, Chase had my mortgage. Yep. And you want to buy my house. You just saying that if you can qualify through Chase mm -hmm. and Chase like, hey, Chauncey qualified. He's a good client. We're gonna give you. We're gonna move your mortgage into his name. Agreed. And what he's saying is, if I'm gonna sell my house, if I was gonna sell my house for three hundred thousand, and he's taking my mortgage, he might have to give me three fifty. Yep. Because I'm saving him so much interest mm -hmm. because the interest are double, mm -hmm. and it's good for him because he's getting a low interest rate over thirty years. He's gonna get that fifty thousand dollars back when uh, when interest rate yeah, and stuff like that. And interest rate's gonna be at a five, and you got a yeah. two point three. So I'll give you $50,000 on top of it just to assume that interest rate. And it's a win-win for everybody. It I is. get a premium for my house, yep. chance to get a low interest rate, and the bank's still getting their monthly payments. That's it. So everyone wins in that scenario. Now, what I want to give as far as like a pro tip is that a VA assumable mortgage. With VA, it's a little different. You have to be very careful with the assumable mortgage. In a VA loan, if I assume Quincy's mortgage and I default on the loan, then he can't get uh, a VA loan. It's a, sometimes he get a ding for it. So wow. when you assume a mortgage, Ooh, yeah. Oh, so man. so oh. when, when you assume a mortgage, you're going there, you make sure you want to get counsel on how to do it because under some circumstances, if I assume it and I don't actually satisfy that assumption, they can go after the original owner. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of like another level of owner's financing. It is. But it's off your credit. So you can get another mortgage, but if it's, if the foreclosure comes to a problem, you might be responsible still. You could be subject to. I know you it's need an attorney. Stamp, final real estate attorney. Figure that out. Yeah, but <laughs> but that's become actually very popular. That's going to be something that probably comes back into play. I remember when I first got into real estate, interest rate were at like a seven in two thousand six. Yeah, and they were doing assumable mortgages. I think I did one or two deals that were assumable mortgage because. 
interest rates before then was a, a little bit lower than what it is. So let me explain to that high interest rate. Since we had low interest rate for a whole year during COVID and house prices went up, those are the new comparables. So you don't think just because interest rate went up, houses gonna go down. No, because they have comparables of 12 months with low interest rate when this market still is going up higher. So only thing about high interest rate for you is your house you could qualify for is gonna become smaller, a little uh, a different area you was looking into. Because like Chauncey said, you was at a two and a half at 300,000, but if you had four and a half now, you probably at a 200,000, you probably lost $100,000 in purchasing power. Yeah. So you're looking at a whole different house. Plus you gotta be able to negotiate to get a $200,000 house now because people now going 20,000, 30,000 over appraised value. Yeah, so that's what is actually going on. I was telling someone the other day is that whatever that beginning entry level price point, like I've been talking about in a previous episode is that People want their dream house when they first start all versus actually trying to get started. Exactly. So what you're seeing now is those institutional investors, which is a man, person that got a lot of money. They're coming in and buying all your entry level homes and renting it back out to you versus actually you actually gaining it. So what you have noticed, and it's a good clip that we actually going to post with a 60 minute clip that came out about two weeks ago that kind of pretty much told you what they're doing. So what they're doing is they're taking over those markets. So they're coming in the entry point level point, let's say in our Columbia area, the uh, average home sale is 260. Mm -hmm. So anything under 260, they'll purchase it and they'll pay it cash, no contingencies, buying it as is, with you who got financing 3% down, maybe a first time home buyer uh, program. Yep, and, and you, you have 20 offers coming and in. And you want repairs done. And you want repairs done. <laughs> An institution is coming in, buying that property, turning that property into a rental and letting people rent it. So it's hard for someone to get started, not even just getting started. At one time, it's a problem getting started to be an investor. Now it's a problem actually getting started being a homeowner. Because what most people don't realize is that that person buys that first home, the average person stays in the home five years, they take the equity they built from that first home, go to the second, third, fourth, fifth, I mean, fifth home. So you're taking that equity and constantly reinvesting it. Yeah. But now that you can't get started because institutional investors, you're not getting a $200,000 home no more. They're actually going to a... Um, you go into a four hundred thousand dollars starter home, and you are unable to get actual that that wealth uh, that you would to start it up. So that's causing issues with work now. The baby boomers are founding generation that has taken over the actual real estate market, and that's who's suffering from it because you can't get started. Yeah. So my my suggestion for the high interest rate, my my suggestion would be if you could more new construction, if you can get to that, because you can lock in your price and. Uh, you can go ahead and get a newer product and it's less competition. But you can't, but new construction not even starting in your entry level price range no more. Yeah, if that's not an option, if they're not in your price range, then you have to be a little more flexible or maybe drop maybe drop your little uh, price point a little bit. But I mean by that, if you can afford for 200s, uh, $200 house, you might be looking in the 150s, 160s, 170s to see if you can find something you can put some sweat equity into. Uh, like, I'm just, I'm not saying, like, maybe an older home, somebody would just want to get it sold. I know you got the old paneling in the house or the old cabinets and, and you got the, you know, carpet. You got to pull up the hall. You may got to do some work, people, to get into this game now. I mean, so just, just think about that. So. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is that a lot of things now that you do is that you want to actually kind of 
you gonna have to put some sweat equity in. Like going in, I remember one time asking for like allowances for cosmetic things. You can barely almost ask for allowances for like major items. So yeah, that's going for new discussion because people agent center repair them like call me if you have any, yeah yeah any because, problems <laughs> yeah because right now you just want you gotta be very cautious and you gotta actually if they have a build job going on now that's gonna be fifteen months build job but he's telling me he's like Chauncey you know what I'm getting sick and tired of this I'm like this home has increased in value. He had this build job so long that his pricing is 2019 pricing. Wow. So the builder wants to get rid of him so they can jack the price up another 60, 80,000. The homes behind him, they built a whole new phase. They're $50,000 more and he's not a, they're not even allowed to actually do any repairs. I mean, not any repairs, any picking the selection. So right now when you get into like looking at your new home, you pretty much get what the builder is actually putting in there versus before you can actually go in and customize or semi-customize your house to something that you actually like. Yeah. Um, speaking of new construction, uh, we'll talk about this time some uh, supply chain problems, yes. uh, what we're going through in the new construction field. Uh, so in previous episodes, we were just telling you how Windows was taking four <laughs> to six months to get. So what's important about Windows is you can't close your envelope in your house. So Basically, without windows, we could probably get your house to 40% with foundation, uh, roof on, uh, walls up, framing and everything, but we can't close the envelope, so we can't do the rough ends like the mechanicals, the electricals, the HVAC system, and we can't start, you know, putting the guts inside the house with the windows. So that's the first problem. So that's the 50% kind of issue, supply issues we run into, uh, windows and uh, front doors. The after 50%, what I mean by after, after when you have the rough end, you have the envelope closed, the problems we're running into now are brick. Brick is hard to get right now. That's crazy though. Yeah, brick is hard to get right now. Um, all the brick, the brick, the, we, back in like before COVID, you could actually go to the brick yard and see brick on the yard and pick out your brick and then they ship it to you. Now they don't have brick yards anymore. If you go down there, there's nothing on the yard only thing they have is you go inside to the showroom, you pick out a brick, and they let you know when it's going to be able to come in, and they take it straight to your job site. So that's going now actually complete your house. Another thing that's actually hurting right now is flowing. Yeah. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. Flowing is, is at a all-time high, and it's at an all-time supply, uh, low supply. And so I think it's important to think about how supply chain actually works. So what normally happens is that a factory does the stuff. They send that to a vendor and the vendor house it and have like storage of these items that store and then they actually sell it. What's going on now is that I bet it's a lot of empty storage sites everywhere because it's going from the factory to your hands. Yeah. So it's no middleman in between and putting in the storage and kind of housing it because everything is actually out. So, so that's so what they're so behind they can't store. Yeah. I mean, right now, even our suppliers who like Back in the day, like these three colors I can get every day of the week. Now it's like, it's nothing we can get every day of the week. It's like nothing to store. It's, like, it's made and it's shipped and it's delivered. And that's what's important. The thing is that when we talk about flooring and then those other pieces, that's the reason why a lot of builders have stopped actually doing selection. Because what would happen is that they waited six months for windows. 
windows finally came in and the flooring that you want yeah. uh, is out of stock and you didn't order it because you were waiting on these windows to come in that they were fine when you initially placed a real order. But now when it goes to pick it up, you go to your vendor and say, hey, I'm ready for those floors. They're like, these floors are not available anymore. We ran out, they're out of stock for a couple of weeks. So that's the reason why builders have pulled away from that because and, they're seeing that issue. And let me explain to you on the builder side why we don't want to hurt your feelings about your selections. So this what we this will build stop taking your ability to select because let me tell you, builders have what they call lines of credit to build a house. Like you're not, it's rare you have a construction loan, and even if you got a construction loan, that's still it still costs them money every day to build that house. So they have a line of credit to build a house. They're getting paid interest every day to build this house. So if Chauncey is representing a buyer, and I call Chauncey like, hey. The gray laminate floors your client wants are out of stock. They're not coming back in for a whole six months. That client might come to talk and say, I don't care. I want to wait six months for this floor because that's what yeah, I picked. My dream. That's my dream color. That's mm -hmm. what I want my house to be. So Charleston come at me like, well, we, we don't want to pick another one. We want to wait six months. And what that doesn't work for me as a builder because I have to have, first of all, the labor and material is going to be higher in the six months. Plus the interest I'm never going to get back and my profit margin is losing every day. So builders got to, that's how they think. They don't want to just hurt your feelings and not get what you want. But at the end of the day, they have to make a decision and you are so emotionally attached to this house, your decision making is not going to be as quickly as they decision making. <laughs> yeah. So when we, like, we have had plans that we had to change window grids because this window design was not in. But we don't care because we, People need windows. We need to put windows in the house. The gray laminate wasn't in, but a, a sandy one, we can change the paint color came in. This granite color wasn't in, we put this granite color in. So builders take away choices because that's going to help us actually get you a house quicker because at the end of the day, you're going to want the house and we got to get you inside the house. So that's what my biggest thing I tell people with anything is that what they're doing now is streamlining everything in the process because it's naturally stopping itself already because of supply issues as well as uh, labor issues as well. So the way that you can actually avoid that is take the choice out. Because if it is gray floors, if we put in sandy floors, it's not gonna offset what the actual client has. And we don't have to wait for you to go back to the design center, exactly. pick the floors, and then hopefully those floors are in. It's better off that we just ask the supplier and say, hey, this is, I have these sandy floors, they're ready to go now, they're here, go ahead and put them in the house and then go that direction. Um, so what it is is just that because of that supply chain shortage, you're just gonna have to adjust. And my biggest thing is that someone always asks me, is it still a good time to buy? What also you're experiencing is, is that uh, actual interest rate, not interest rate, uh, rental rates are going up dramatically. We just was actually touring some stuff in Miami. They find Airbnb. Yeah. So, I mean, those go, Airbnb is going to be a new market rates. I mean, if I can get $100 a day, that's $3,000. Why would I short long-term my house for $1,500? But, so I was looking at some statistics today that 39% in Miami alone, rent has increased 39% from last year. Talking to uh, uh, our realtor today, well, my realtor today, uh, she said that her place went from twenty five hundred dollars a month to twenty. I mean, to thirty eight hundred. No, twenty three to thirty six. Or something. Yeah, it was something like, like there's the fifteen hundred dollars. And we're talking about in a year. Yeah, like yeah. like and like, at least over another year, fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. 
And on top of that, she had to make a decision to stay there because he was like, if you don't do it, someone else will. Yeah, so she just had to make an $18,000 decision because she had to pay $18,000 more in her lease now. Yep. In one year. In one year. For the in one year. Yeah. So when you're asking about the difference as far as housing, somebody who bought their house a year ago, and like Quincy was saying, they put an extra $15,000 up with a 2.3 interest rate, and they put $15,000 I mean, $15, above appraisal on it, was well worth it because at least now that mortgage payment is fixed. Everyone else that has not made a decision there is actually making that adjustment around there. So you want to be very careful about that. So to answer your question, is it still a good time to buy? Yeah, because you have still more control over it. Yeah, I mean, it's always a good time to buy because you got to stop the bleeding somehow. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. You can't, 08 was a perfect storm. I get it. Uh, 08 had a lot of things happen. I mean, we was finding clients everywhere at the laundromat. I mean, you had a social security number, you could get a house back in there. It was a wild, 100%. wild west. It was a wild, wild west. I mean, I, I even knew, I even knew processor exists to like 2010 because it was just like underwrite, straight to underwriting clothes, like, like buy clothes. So if you went for 08, I'm sorry, 08 ain't coming, my opinion. Yeah. Um, you got to start to believe somehow, you got to get in the game, you just got to, because at the end of the day, Today, wherever you get your mortgage at, I'm telling you, three or four years later, that mortgage ain't gonna seem that high no more. I mean, people that used to have, you remember $200 used to be a high mortgage? I remember my first mortgage, it was, I think it was- I remember $800. I think it was, was 700 I was like, oh my God, $800. And the craziest part about it, I'm gonna be honest, that my my rent was $1,000, $1,100 a month, and I was easy to sign that at the time and then I actually went down to that but I don't know what about a mortgage was so scary about it for the thing and then for me uh in 2019 I had a crazy thing that happened so I was like you know what I'm gonna get the house that I really want I don't give a dang how much the mortgage is but I said I don't give a damn how the mortgage is so I just pretty much just bought it because I but I was terrified buying that mortgage but I, you know what I'm glad you say that because I want to speak on that I think the black community on mortgages because I think it's the embarrassment factor. I think because everybody in our family has lost an apartment, so that's no embarrassment. Oh, girl, you got to carry an apartment. I got to bid for an apartment. No embarrassment. But according to us, if we lose a house, oh, my God, you just was irresponsible. You you got a scarlet letter on you. You were just ashamed. You shamed the family. You lost a house. And we need to stop looking like that. Mortgage is actually the safest way to get a property because, I mean, I mean you don't pay rent for a month or two. They kick you out in 90, 90 days. Mortgages take years and so, years to get out. You remember you had? Oh yeah. So when the market crashed, I I kind of pivot to exactly where what to do. The banks had foreclosures, so I did these things called BPOs and kind of represent the bank as far as their agent uh, to represent putting the property back on the market. They had the property. I mean, I had people like on averaging, and when I say I did this BPO thing, which is a broker price opinion. Back to like an appraisal is pretty much what my opinion of what the property will actually be worth. We actually, I used to do like 70 to 80 of them a month. I hustled, hustled to do that to kind of build my uh, my actual uh, money from there was through BPOs. But with that, those people on average, people were staying in their house without paying a mortgage payment two to three years. Exactly. The longest one I've ever seen was a lady had like four and a half years. Exactly. She made no mortgage payment. But she was trying to actually, she was actually engaging with the mortgage company and she was able to stay in there four and a half years without making a mortgage payment. Just like everyone talk about now, like everyone's like the monitorium that somebody they didn't pay mortgage since 2019. 
for me, in my opinion, is that that's not bad because I've seen worse in, in different situations. So exactly. that's kind of what I tell people that now is that and price, how long prices did I increase as they, they did the last two years either. So that's kind of one of those things that you kind of got to look into is that you got to get past that scare factor. I think everyone kind of start off is that, am I going to be able to make it? If, are you going to have to make the adjustment? Yes. Is it going to be something that's life-changing? You have to adjust to the new bill. But yeah, take that kind of fear factor away from you because that hinders you. Because I would rather right now, if you're thinking in, in, in the actual uh, concept of it. And I can tell you right now, the first client that actually had um, to pay over what the appraised value was, was actually one of our classmates. It was in Charlotte, right? It was my first client. He was, he was right when COVID was right at the right at the beginning of the top of the year he was my first client that had to pay over the appraised value for a property the appraiser came back in short and we negotiated to over appraised value and he asked me what my opinion of it was and we're talking about the first ever experience i had but that's when you have an experienced professional that say hey we're looking at this market there's nothing out here uh this is the exact neighborhood you want this is what it's actually worth and I can almost bet you right now from that two years ago, I know this house worth at least a hundred grand more. Yeah. So it's real worth it that you actually do over that appraisal amount at that time, because and at that time it was just $5,000. I just got an actual offer today that they're willing to pay $20,000 over the appraised value. And a lot of people say, oh, that's probably a million dollar house. The house is actually only listed for 220 and they're willing to do $20,000 over the appraised value so that they can actually, uh, get the house so that's what you want to put those things in perspective now and with and this is with a higher interest rate people think it's something has changed as far as that yeah maybe you don't get 10 offers now but maybe you still get three or four multiple offers are something that is going to happen i have agents call me all the time and say hey chasi do we have a multiple offer i said in the last year year and a half all we have was multiple offers so that's not even a question no more the question should be uh, when is the cutoff for the actual multiple offers? Because that's more important than what actually having a multiple offer is. So you want guys want to be aware of that. So that was our 2022 recap. Quarter one. Yeah, quarter one. Uh, we'll let you know how the second quarter goes and when that comes in this summertime. And like I said, man, I hope y'all enjoy. Please watch the podcast on all your major podcast networks. Apple, Anchor, uh, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, please subscribe, hit the notification button so you get all our podcasts. Make sure you follow us on all social media, IG, Facebook at uh, My Real Estate Mistakes, me, Q underscore My Real Estate Mistakes. Chauncey, My Real Estate Mistakes. And man, we can hear the answer all your questions, man. Hope y'all really enjoy the Miami series, man. Uh, we got out the studio. It's a wrap. Right. South Carolina State behind us no more. Uh, so y'all, you know, taste tuned. We answer all questions. If something went over your head or you need a repeat, let me know and uh, let us know and we'll damn soon get back with you, man. Sound like a plan. My brother said mistakes. Hey, man. Out.